Good morning again, everyone. Back on April 16, I posted that I've been reading an excellent little book by Ray Galea called God is Enough, which opens up 10 Psalms. I had intended to read all of the book, but I fell in love with the first chapter on Psalm 139, and it's been my psalm of the last month. It turns out it's been a favourite psalm of many, but I'd never really been one of my go-to psalms for some reason. As a former counsellor, Ray opens with the question, why do people go to counsellors and therapists? At one level, we're all after advice and insight when we're struggling to love and discipline our kids, when marriages cause us pain, when we're struggling with our mental health. All great reasons to go and see someone trained to help. However, Ray's experience had taught him that many people head to a qualified stranger for one very simple reason, to be known. To be able to share their life in a safe place and have another human being know their story and accept them. Now, many of us may never have seen a counsellor, but I reckon raise onto something there. And we express this desire to be known in other ways. I've often noticed if you put a 100 people in a room and 10 of them are school teachers, they'll find each other. And they'll share a common bond and understanding. Being a teacher strikes me as a really challenging kind of role. There's a different flow to the work week, a different flow to the year, a blurring of work life into home life, a desire to want to invest into kids and a love of seeing them grow, yet being dragged away from that more than they'd like, with compliance issues, reporting, managing parent expectations. So if you put teachers together and watch them chat, I think that's a big part of their bond, is just being with people who understand it's really hard work, challenging and discouraging at points. As an aside, thank you so much to all of our teachers who've put in many long hours during COVID-19. I've had lots of updates from our school teachers popping things up at all times of the day and night for our kids. It's been an amazing job so far. We're praying for you and thank you. Whatever the work, to speak to someone who knows our challenges, understands, accepts and encourages us is very therapeutic. I started wondering how that works in my life as a pastor and it struck me that I too find it really helpful to be known. Often if I get really frustrated, I'm hurting or angry, I just pick up a phone and ring a guy called Shane. Big Shane, eh? Many of you know him. He's been a good friend to me over many years. His wife, Steph, has worked in church offices before. She's served on the leadership team here at church. And they've been part of multiple church plants here at Trinity. Shane knows when I ring him, he doesn't need to fix anything. He doesn't need to give advice. I'm just ringing him to vent because I know he really gets that being a pastor can be tough sometimes. So when we planted Trinity Church Unley and Carl very thoughtfully kept coming to me, can I speak to this family about joining the plant? I said to Carl, you can talk to any family you like. You don't need to keep asking me. We want the biggest and the best team to go, but just leave me, Shano. Now, Carl being Carl, he still kept asking, and just leave me, Shano became a catchphrase on the team. So what about you? 
How well known are you by others? Does the prospect of being known excite you or scare you? There may be all kinds of things running through your mind as you consider that. But when you take away our fears, our shame, our pride, I'd put it to you that there's something pretty fundamental about us all as humans that we long to be known. We long to be understood. We long for people to care. We long for people to accept us. Psalm 139, I think, is loved by so many because it reveals to the believing heart that the God of all the universe knows us. And it would be great to have your Bibles open to Psalm 139 so we can look together at these great words penned by King David. Just look at the words David uses there. It's not simply that God is a great know-it-all. He describes a very personal God. You have searched me, Lord, verse 1. You perceive my thoughts, verse 2. You discern my going out. You are familiar with my ways, verse 3. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it, verse 4. Now, depending on how you're wired and how tender your conscience is, you can read this in two ways. It can be a great comfort, or if your sins are front of mind, it can be a confronting thought, bringing discomfort with our sinfulness. But I think so much of good Bible reading and teaching is helping us all to develop a rich relationship with God that captures the heart. And I think the best way to do that is to use God's word to steer the emotions. Let God's word guide our response to something like Psalm 139. You see, I could as a preacher bring in our doctrine of sin at this point and say, God knows when you mentally undress someone and generate a very real sense of guilt in well over half of us. And we could launch off into a discussion about sin and repentance. We could say many things that are accurate and biblically true, but it's just not what Psalm 139 is doing. Because David's summary of this first thought, as verse 6 reveals, he's clearly writing this to comfort those who live in a relationship with God. He's awestruck at this point. Verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful to me, too lofty, for me to attain. So if we're to look for a point of application to us, we should be looking for a comforting thought that generates awe. And verse 4 really grabs my attention and has this last month. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. One of Ray's great one-liners in his book in applying this verse to prayer was to remind us that as we pray, we're not educating God. We're expressing trust in him. When you come home at the end of the day or catch up with a friend and they ask how your day was, you're educating them as you answer that question. Well, you wouldn't believe what Bob from the office wrote in an email today. They didn't know that bit of information before and now they do. With God, it's not like that. God searches us. God's perceptive. God's familiar with us. And before a word issues from our mouth in prayer to him, He knows it completely. We're not educating him. As we pray, we're trusting him. We're trusting that God cares. We're trusting that God wants us to speak to him. The fact that the creator and sustainer of the whole universe knows everything about each 7.7 billion of us in a personal way is awesome in the truest sense of the word. 
It's too wonderful, David. It's too big a thought to get your head around, too lofty for us to attain. Verses 7 to 12 reveal that not only is God all-knowing, but he's with us everywhere, even in the darkest moments. David tries to comprehend anywhere where God isn't, and even if he wanted to flee from God's presence, from the heavens to the depths, verse 8, from the dawn of each day to moving to the remotest places, God is there. And again, it's not just that God is everywhere, it's far more personal than that. God is there to guide us, verse 10, and hold us firm. Even in the dark watches of the night when no one else can see you, as tears stream down your face, God is there. You can feel alone in a crowd. You can feel alone lying in bed at night in a marriage that's on the rocks. But God is there. We can pray to him without needing to educate him on our struggles, informing him of our situation. We can express trust in him, that he's there to guide us, that God has got this. He will hold us fast, even through the fiercest storm. And I want to apply this one step further. The reason the Bible is so full of one another commands for believers, I think, is that God has placed his church here on earth at the center of his plans, not only to share the great news of Jesus with many, bringing many in, but once you're part of God's family, to teach us to obey everything God has commanded us. We'll never be a perfect community. We will fall short of heaven on earth, yet we should get regular tastes of heaven. It should be a place where we can be known, where we can pray to God together, to look to God for guidance, to remind each other that God has got this. So for me, how that plays out is not only do I have my Shano in place and everyone needs a Shano, I also have someone else who knows all of my besetting sins and who I confess things to, who I give full authority to ask me the hard questions about how I'm going. Now, do I need to confess my sin to anyone else but God? Not really. But in doing so, am I allowing God to work through his church? Yes. Because God knows everything about us, we shouldn't need to fear rejection from a godly and wise person who knows God. So if someone shares with you their struggles, pain and sin, please give them the gift of being unsurprised. Love them and point them back to the God who needs no education on our shortcomings. Another way it plays out is that I feel quite comfortable sharing my shortcomings as a leader with our leadership team here at church, because they each have a great heart for God, our church, and me. They know many of the things I struggle with as a pastor. They are unsurprised I'm not perfect and have many shortcomings. They know they care, they accept me, and I love them dearly for it. I also love my community group. They know and love me in different ways, and I try to do that for them. It's also the reason I think many care groups are such a great idea, and I want to know and be known by them in a different way again. None of us need to be everything to each other, but I want to say church should be a place where we start to grasp what it is to be known, to be accepted, to be loved, and do that for others. Will we always be great at that? No. Sometimes we'll suck at it. 
but should we keep straining towards the goal that everyone who is part of our church is known and cared for personally? Absolutely. Are we getting better at it during this time of pandemic? I think so. There's lots of little really encouraging stories I've heard in recent months. And at the very least, I think we're at least fumbling the ball forward in the right direction. And a proper understanding of Psalm 139 is encouraging that this is a great thing to be investing some of our energy into. Verses 13 to 18 keep expanding this picture of our God who knows us as we hear that even before we became self-aware as kids and started to understand who we are, even before our parents had first laid eyes on us, God knew us. And more than that, verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Making clear to us a very comforting truth that none of us will spend one day more or one day less on this planet than God intends. What greater recipe for letting go of worry is there? Now, that's easy to say, of course, but challenging to do when you're diagnosed with cancer. A complicated thought, to be sure, to consider when we've lost someone that we love. Yet it remains true and a very important bit of framework to have in place as we consider the role of suffering in this life and immensely comforting as our minds struggle to comprehend it. That God has ordained all of this and knows all for every person who has ever lived, for you and for me. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. God has always known that you and I would spend some of our days social distancing, withdrawing from fellowship together in person. Then as David seemingly awakes from a dream considering all of this and finds God is still there, we too are awakened with a start at what comes next from David with verses 19 to 22 as he speaks of his anger and hatred towards the enemies of God. It's jarring, but focus in. Don't tune out. I think it reveals to us a really jealous concern for the honour and glory of God from King David. Now, we all hate it when our own honour gets called into question and get defensive, hurt or angry pretty quick when it's called into question. We can also flick a switch like David when someone besmirches the honour or integrity of a partner, a friend or a child. I spoke of my great love and thankfulness to God for our leadership team here at church. If I felt one of their names was dragged through the mud for something unfair or untrue, I know myself well enough that I reckon I too would flick a switch and be roused to anger in defence of their good names. I may do so unhelpfully, uh, but there'd be something right about that desire too. How much more then should we be appropriately defensive, ready to step into the fray, appropriately angered and jealous for the name of our Creator God, our God who knows us intimately, who loves us and who extends an offer of forgiveness to all people. Now, there's a caution we need to hear, of course. Firstly, David was God's anointed king, living in a time where the enemies of the nation were the enemies of God, 
hence David's enemies. Jesus, not us, is the one who will bring justice to all who reject the rightful rule of God over our lives. And we mustn't fall into an us and them mentality, seeing ourselves as holy and right, pitted against the enemies of God. We're reminded soberly in the book of Romans and also in the Psalms in recent weeks that no one is righteous, no one seeks God. And we're told that while we were still God's enemies, Christ died for us. So as Christians, we live by grace as those who were once God's enemies, who through Jesus have been reconciled to God. We therefore hold out the good news of Jesus, offer of reconciliation to the world, not with a holier-than-thou attitude, but as people overawed by the grace of God who knows us. Yet we can soften the blow of these verses too much if we don't convey that it's the final judgment of God's ultimate and eternal King Jesus our world should fear, the King whose judgment is just. As we read of that day yet to come in Revelation chapter 6, Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us! and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? This psalm, however, is written for the believing heart to comprehend, and it finishes by modelling the right response to our God who knows us in the last two verses. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Standing before the God who knows us, there is no point pretending. He knows both our anxious thoughts and our offensive ways. So it's right to give up our self-delusions, the outward appearances we maintain for the sake of others and our own comfort, and ask the God of all creation to lead us into ways everlasting. As I've rested in this psalm over the last month, there's so many ways we could apply this all to us today, but I'll share just two. Firstly, as a local church family, I think we want to be the kind of church that's enamoured with the fact that God knows us, that says to each other and our world that this is a great thing, that rightly honours and draws people attention to the fact that the greatest act in history of God's commitment to know us was to enter into this world as one of us in Christ and praise him for that as the heartbeat of our life together. That because Jesus became one of us, yet lived the perfect life, and while we were still enemies of God, took our sins upon his shoulders and took them to the cross so that we can be reconciled to God out of love. Hebrews picks this up beautifully in chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need.
Jesus knows you completely. He knew our record of sin. He knew the number of our days. He saw all of it. Not one part of us was hidden from him. And he still chose to die for our sins so that all who come to him can receive mercy and find grace. If you wouldn't describe yourself as a follower of Jesus, I hope you hear both the comfort of this great psalm and the challenge not to remain as enemies of God. God offers grace and mercy to all. And as a small local part of God's church here on earth, we're here to help. There's courses you can do to unpack it all and ask you questions. We can read through an account of Jesus' life together. There's nothing special about us, but we can point you to Jesus who is very special and we know what it's like to receive mercy and grace. Just fill out an online card or speak to someone from our church and we'll work out how to be most helpful to you. You are known to God and he extends that offer of help to all. And lastly, for those who already follow Jesus, can I encourage you to pray these last two verses of Psalm 139 this week? I think we're living through a, hopefully, once-in-a-lifetime experience of being able to stop, clear our diaries, wipe the whiteboard clean, and reprioritize and assess our lives till this point, and bring about good change. There's all sorts of challenges ahead, given returning to normal as Christians and for all of us is still some way off. I think we should be thinking about a new normal. Now, there's all sorts of roadmaps and strategy documents being drawn up across Australian churches and businesses, and they're all important. But for Christians right across the world, I want to say what's more important is our hearts before God, and that driving our vision for a new normal. So that as we rebuild lives and fill the diary up again, we do so with God at the very centre. That how we serve him, how we seek to share the gospel, how we grow through word and prayer, how we love one another with a renewed passion to live all of life for God's glory needs to be the most important thing for us all to consider in our new normal. If we really get that from the heart and have a passion for it, those things will go back into our diaries. They'll go back into whatever the new normal looks like first rather than last and it'll be a blessing to us all for the rest of our days, each of the days God has ordained for each of us. So with that in mind, with the desire to refocus life with God at the centre of all things, pray to God who knows you intimately and who wants you to know that as a very comforting thought, pray Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you that you know us. We thank you that indeed you knew everything about us, the stretch of our days that God the Father has ordained for us that you knew all the gifts that you'd given us. You knew all of our sins spread across our entire life. Yet you looked upon us and loved us. You chose to take the burden of that sin on your shoulders and take it to the cross so that we don't have to, so that we can be reconciled to God, so that we can live 
now as completely free people, free of the fear of death, free of many fears and anxieties, to live wholeheartedly for you. We just acknowledge at this time, many of us are are struggling through such changes and the rapid pace of things. We thank you so much that there's been really good outcomes so far in Australia. And we pray, Lord, as we uh, rebuild lives bit by bit, that we might do so as Christians with you at the very centre. We just humbly submit to you that you know us, you know everything about us. You know both our anxious thoughts and the ways in our lives that are offensive to you. Please comfort our anxiety and help us to repent of sin. As we rebuild lives over the coming months and years ahead, please help us to keep you at the very centre of all things. Might it be a great joy to us to keep you at the centre of our lives. Might it be a great strength for us. Might it be a great comfort for us. And may we each rest in the fact that you know us and chose to love us, called us into your family, reconciled us by your son and have given us every spiritual blessing in his name and eternal life to come. And it's in his precious and very powerful name we pray. Amen.